Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review. Hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast, sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy, Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren. And this, my friends, is Jam Session, the podcast version 201, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. As you will be here on this version, a lot to get into, a variety of different notes from around the NFL, some college recruiting. We're going to have Clarence Hill Jr. We're going to have Ed Werder. But we're going to start it off, as we always do, by telling you about our friends, the attorneys at the Greening Law, the Green Team. If you've been hurt in a car accident, you never know when it's going to happen, which is why we tell you about these guys every podcast episode, because eventually one of you will have an accident and you'll go, oh, I know what to do. I remember. I've heard it many, many times. 972-934-8900. You're going to call Robert Greening and the attorneys at Greening Law, mainly because the consultation's absolutely free. Dude, that's the best phone call you'll ever make. It don't cost you nothing to pick up the phone. Tell them the details of your situation, whether you're in a car accident, uh, you know, trip and fall at somebody's house, got hurt out in the street. You know, you're in an accident, you need some help, you give them a call, they listen to your case. If they take you on as a client, you, my friend, are the chosen one because they will grind for you, they'll work for you, and they don't get paid. Not a penny, not a nickel, not a dollar, unless you get paid. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, they help you find places to go, doctors that you need to see, and ways to rehabilitate yourself. It really is true. They're fighting the legal battle so that you're focusing on healing and getting renewed. It's Robert Greening. Again, give him a call, 972-934-8900, 972-934-8900. Robert Greening, offices, Dallas, Texas. So here we are, and we embark on a couple of interesting conversations here, I think. The first one, before we get into the world of college, there's a couple of things NFL-wise. Some of you may recognize this name, some of you may not, but he, at least in Dallas Cowboys world, is a very well-known name, and that is PR Director Rich Dalrymple, who today announced his retirement after 32 years as the director of PR for the Dallas Cowboys. And if you're like, Rich Dalrymple, why does that sound so familiar? Well, Jean-Jacques Taylor was once involved in a fiasco of some sort, a scuttlebutt, if you will, with one Des Bryant who simply yelled out, fix this shit, Rich. 
Yeah, famous words. I'm still amazed that there's no T-shirt that says, fix this shit, Rich. I can't either because if anybody knows Rich Dalrymple and you're not in the media, obviously, I guarantee you people are like, is that the guy that Des Bryant was yelling at? <laughs> it is. That's him. That's exactly who it was. It's uh, it's one of the great uh, one of the great quotes of all time, really. I think. Uh, but Dalrymple, hey man, I've been covering the Dallas Cowboys in one medium or another. You know, radio, TV, podcast, print, whatever. Uh, since 1995, 26 years. He's the only PR director I've ever known, bro. And uh, he he's uh, he's really terrific at his job. He can be firm, he can be cool, he can be helpful, um, he's all those things. And he does it in a way where, um, you know, he gets it done without being confrontational, even though you might not like what he has to say. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And uh, there's an art to that, man. And uh, he's, he's terrific at his job. And uh, frankly, bro, I'm sorry to see him go. Yeah, he, he again, in my very minimal interactions with him had always been somebody that I thought at least for what he does. And, and I will say that for the most part, like the stars have really good PR people. The Cowboys in my experience with what I've done with them have had really P good PR people. And I will say not everybody does that. It's not everybody oh. that, that bends over. I don't want to say bends over backwards, but really tries to find the balance in understanding what the media has to do and meeting your needs while also helping the players to understand while they're protecting the player, but the players also have a job to do with the media to all work together. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I always find it funny, man, when you come into contact with an asshole in public relations, I go, like, you realize your job is to help people, to help media, facilitate media and interviews and stuff, and if if you really don't want to help people, bro, why, why did you pick this career because this ain't the career for you in terms of trying to facilitate and help people do their jobs uh rich was always good and see i was struck man by the time he <clears throat> excuse me by the time he delivered some bad news to me like um me and matt were planning to go to training camp uh probably the first it must have been last year like the first summer we had had the podcast we've got we've got an airbnb lined up in la We've plotted, we've planned, we've figured out how we can do it, how we can make it happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had talked to Rich and sent him an email. Hey, we've done this. Our numbers are this. Our podcast is not some fly-by-night thing. It's a real deal. And like I said, Rich has known me since 95. He knows what I'm about. And uh, he called me up. He said, uh, hey, I'm not going to bullshit you for any time whatsoever. The problem is not you. The problem is not your podcast. You guys do a good job. The problem is the NFL has set up these limitations. We can only let so many people here, there at training camp. And, you know, we're doing it with the big boys and the local people, and you you just don't fit into that category right now. And he goes, I wish you could because I'd love to have you out there, but I can't. And, you know, I was like, well, shit, dog, when you put it like that, I mean, it just is what it is. But I appreciated the fact that it wasn't a bunch of BS and it was like, yo, here's the deal, here's the situation. Ain't nobody's fault. It's just what it is. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and I remember that. That was that was this past August. It was leading into this season that we had already booked everything when we were looking at figuring out ways to get out there. And, you know, once we kind of found that out, we we're like, well, how much access are we really going to have in that type of thing? But at least he was forward with us and made total sense. But Rich right. Dalrymple uh, retiring 32 years as Cowboys PR director, kind of wild. 
The other thing, and we kind of talked about this a little bit the other day, and I was curious, is the Brian Flores situation. And, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting about our podcast is, for those that don't know, I'm a white guy and Jacques is a black guy. And you are? <laughs> the fuck out of here. Really? You, who knew? Who, oh, my I, God. I know. I, I thought probably growing up in Rockwall, people figured it out. <laughs> you know, but maybe not. I don't know. But I think it's interesting because we can have some of those conversations sometimes. And, you know, I look at this situation with Brian Flores, and I just wonder, because you've been around the NFL for a long-ass time as well. Right. And I keep thinking about this, and I go, you know, I think we all kind of look at this and go, yeah, I, I believe Brian Flores. I, I doesn't surprise me at all. Kind of had this idea anyway that that's how the league operated. But... Like, how do you win this lawsuit? And, and what can the league do in a league that is run by 31 crazy old rich-ass white dudes and the guy in Jacksonville? <laughs> you know, sometimes, bro, you don't... Let me see. How do I say this? You know, like, you can file a lawsuit and not expect to win. Yeah. You can file a lawsuit and, and try to affect some change or hope that you pull out enough embarrassing information that somebody will settle or, or whatever your your various motives are or you want to bring light to a situation that's the only way to do it uh to apply pressure because you're sick and tired of being sick and tired if that's how he felt um and then that's why he made the move um you know the bottom line though is and you know i understand the frustration you know when people say oh you got to hire more black coach there's there's no way to hire more black coaches because you literally can't tell somebody who to hire. Yeah, what you can yeah. try to do is open their minds to say, you don't have to hire the same type of person every single time. You know, you can, you can take, you can give somebody else an opportunity. Just think about it. Just try it. Um, but you know, man, and, and I put it like this, bro. And this is just what it is, man. And people, some people are like, oh, all you guys do is ever talk about race. Well, shut the hell up, because no, we don't. Although race is out there for anybody who wants to see it every single day. And if you're black, bro, you live it every single day. But if you're talking about, and this is it, I'm, I'm giving a political example, but only as it relates to telling people what to do. You know. If Joe Biden says, I want to put a black woman on the Supreme Court, the instant reaction from those who say they don't want it is, well, she's not qualified. She's not like, who said he was going to put an unqualified black woman on the Supreme Court? Are you trying to tell me there's no black woman in America who, who is worthy of being on the Supreme Court? Well, of course there are. There's probably a hundred of them. You're just going to pick from that hundred to spread the love around. For example, bro, and I'm just going to keep it real with y'all. Is there a reason why the fifth largest city in America, a city comprised mostly of black and brown people these days, don't have a black columnist in Dallas-Fort Worth? I mean, I was one, and I left, and I ain't been one since I left 10 years ago. Is there a reason why Dallas, Texas, black and brown as it is, doesn't have a black voice? And check this out, man. That's not a knock on the white voices who are colonists. Yeah. That's like, can we add another voice to the mix? And so if we go back to the NFL, oh, just so you know, 
108 out of 104 14 Supreme Court justices have been white men. So we don't need to cry no tears for white men. Oh, Dion is calling me. Should I take this? Oh, my. Yeah, you probably need to, huh? Okay. Hold up a second, people. Okay. <laughs> what up, dog? All right, so we're back because Jacques just got off the phone with Dion Sanders. <laughs> you know, prime time. Yeah, he was he was breaking down some stuff for me. And I had talked to him for about 30 minutes earlier today, so when he called, I was really surprised, and I was like, let me get this. <laughs> and he had some uh, some good stuff for me about Jackson State coming up that I'll share with you guys at a uh, – at a later date, because uh, it's not uh, it's not out there for the public just yet. But uh, okay. you know, that's uh, some good stuff he's got going on with Jackson State. And I don't think I'm breaking news when I say I don't expect him to be there forever. But dude, he is setting him up so good so that whenever he leaves, whether it's two years, five years, ten years from now, all they're going to be able to do is say thank you. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's awesome. That yeah, is, man. So. It- we were kind of talking about the Brian Flores situation, and I didn't know if you had anything else you wanted to offer on that. But Well, I was, you know, my main thing is, is it's just hard to tell people who to hire. And, you know, man, it's, um, it's, it's just hard. There's no good way around it because you can't tell people who to hire. Yeah. And you can, all you can do is open their, try to open up their minds and see that there's other possibilities and that there's other guys who can be good. But I got to tell you, man, as a black man, it gets frustrating. And it gets frustrating in this sense. So every, you know what I'm saying here, so don't hold me to the letter of law, but every every offense coordinator Andy Reid has goes gets a head coaching job. Doug Peterson, Matt Nagy. Mm-hmm. Okay, Eric B. Enemy comes up. Team does the exact same thing. He can't get one. And then you have somebody like Nathaniel Hackett who ain't, I mean, he doesn't have some extensive resume of success. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, he didn't call the plays in Green Bay or do any of that. At least the enemy's calling the plays in Kansas City. Yeah, he's calling the plays. Uh, and so it, it gets frustrating when you start comparing apples to apples. And you're just like, well, what's the one difference? Oh, okay. I guess that's what it is. Yeah, you know, and the other example of it now is with the Rams where you look at Obviously, Sean Taylor, Sean Taylor, Sean McVay, and then Zach Taylor, who yeah. was a Sean McVay guy under his coaching tree. Kevin O'Connell, who the Vikings are about to hire, coming out of L.A. And yet, here's Raheem Morris, who is their defensive coordinator. And Raheem Morris, <laughs> who has been around the game forever and ever and ever, and has actually been a head coach for a, a little bit, but that was years ago in Tampa. And I guess he was interim for a little bit with Atlanta when Dan Quinn left. But for whatever reason, he's not getting anything. You know, yeah, man. And then you hear these these whispers. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't. Um, he doesn't interview well. Or he doesn't do this. Or he doesn't do that. I mean, it's like, come on, man, really. And uh, yes, yeah, some people don't interview well. Mike Zimmer didn't necessarily interview well, and that's why it took him a minute to get to get jobs. Um, so it's it can just be a frustrating thing, man. And I get it, and I understand it. Um, you know, but I'm not sure that there's a good way around it other than um, to continue to shed light on it and, um, you know, hope that uh, at some point people start taking a chance and uh, giving people an opportunity. Yeah, man. I mean, the Eric Bieniemy one to me is is the one that is most mind boggling. 
And I know that Houston now, because of the Deshaun Watson situation, I mean, who the hell knows what they're going to end up doing and how that's going to play out. But originally, before that happened, I thought, I mean, if I'm Houston, don't I just call up Eric Bieniemy and say, hey, come do whatever you've figured out with Reed and Mahomes and do it here with Watson and us? And they didn't do that. And now, Houston is calling a dude who's never... This blows my mind. Houston apparently is seriously considering hiring Josh McCown, who has never coached anywhere except as like a volunteer at his kid's high school. (laughs) I'm serious. I'm not making that up. Like he, he volunteered at his kid's high school as a coach, and that's the only coaching experience he has, and he's about to potentially be the head coach of an NFL franchise. Um, here's the deal, man. That is amazing. Like I heard what they uh, what they said about him. You know, somebody in the front office said, or somebody said, well, you know, he's been a backup coach, a backup quarterback for so many years, and he understands this and that because he was a backup quarterback, you know, like Jason Garrett, and he's got mentioned some other people. And, you know, the only thing I would say to that is, okay, that's cool. Right. But the bigger issue is if you – you can you can come up with whatever reasons you want to for somebody that you want to hire. Just like if you don't want to hire him, well, he's never done this before, so you know I don't want to be the first one to give him a shot. I mean, so it's it's all that's why it's just it's just frustrating because the goalposts are continually changing. It's you know if you want to hire a guy, well, it's important that he call plays, except when he didn't call plays. But we want him, so it doesn't matter. But for you, well, if you had called plays, we'd feel a little better about this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, but the Josh McCallum thing will be one of the more bizarre coach hirings in the history for me, just because it's one thing to, to be like a Kellen Moore who was a quarterback and at least coached at some level of the NFL for a couple of years, or even Jason Garrett. You're talking about a dude who has never coached an NFL franchise I, I at any position, has no, I, it's just odd to me. That's so strange. And but I've got a leader some, of men, Matt. Well, I've got some buddies who are, believe it or not, I mean, this is true. I have two friends of mine in my fantasy league that are, they live in Houston. And I know that we don't think that Texans fans are real. These dudes are hardcore Texans fans. And one of them said flat out, if they hire Flores, I'll buy tickets and tailgate next year. If they hire McCown, I'll burn my jerseys. (laughs) Like this dude is pissed. He's like, I can't believe we have a that we cheer for a franchise that might hire somebody like McCown. Like it doesn't make any sense. Like what are they doing? And I just said, I was like, I don't know, man. I'm not going to argue with you because like he goes, everybody thinks that McCown is the stupid choice. He goes, how in the world can they do this? They obviously just think that they're smarter than everybody. They know how to win better than anybody else. This is a clown move, and this is stupid. <laughs> so those are that's how Texans fans feel about it. At least one of them. It has a lot of room for screw-ups. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I mean, it has a lot of ways it can go bad, and I think that's that's the biggest issue with it. You know, it's times like this when I know something that won't go bad at all, and that's biltong, because as soon as you put that in your mouth, you're going to be like, oh, my God, this is amazing, and you're just going to eat it. It'll be so savory and tender, and you're going to be like, why have I not had biltong before? I don't know. We've been telling you about it for a couple of months. I don't know why you haven't gone to bruisebiltong.com and use the promo code JAM15 to get 15% off your order. You need to experience the greatness of Biltong. I think you need to experience the greatness of Biltong because rarely have you heard something uh, that's in the same genre as beef jerky described as succulent or savory 
or uh, you know, make your mouth do a belly dance, uh, if you've ever heard that. Uh, and that's because biltong's delicious, man. I like to slice biltong. It's, I mean, it's. Yeah. I gotta tell you, I was shocked the first time I. I ate it. I was going to say put it in my mouth, but I didn't like the way that sounded. <laughs> uh, the first time I tasted it, and it was, uh, I was like, wow, this is unbelievable, man. Because I'd never had any uh, any kind of dried meat like that that had that kind of taste to it. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And it that's what it is. It's like beef jerky. It isn't. It's a traditional South African air-dried meat. I think it's fantastic. I think you guys are going to love it too. And again, keep in mind, when you order your Bruce Biltong at BruceBiltong.com, that's B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G, you get 15% off. Just use the promo code, JAM15 at checkout. It's that easy. Try it today. I'm serious. You're, I think you're going to love it. Biltong is badass. Eat it. Also, of course, have you made the call yet to Blue Star Motor Group? Now, maybe you're not looking for a vehicle, and that's fine. I understand that. It's not like all of us are constantly looking to buy or sell a car. But I would ask that at some point when that happens for you, and you're ready to start that buying process or perhaps that selling process, you need to include Blue Star Motor Group. As a matter of fact, if I was you, I'd make them my first call. Because once you talk to Blue Star Motor Group, I think it may be very difficult for you to find a better deal somewhere else out there through a dealership. And that's why we keep telling you to call Deb, 817-881-4066, because she's going to go to work finding the best deal she can for a win for you. Dude, what I love about Deb is she don't answer to nobody, man. She ain't got no general manager. She ain't got no finance manager. She ain't got nobody she answers to. Except the Lord himself, perhaps. Um, so she can make a deal, man. She could get it done. She can make it happen. All you got to do is give her a text, give her a call, and let her work it out. Because the thing that makes Blue Star Motor Group different is they're all about the win-win, man. When the contracts are signed, the handshakes are completed, they want you looking in the rearview mirror, smiling, and they want to see you smiling back at them. And it's easy to do. They specialize in superior quality, Carfax certified, pre-owned vehicles of all makes and models. Give Deb a call, 817-881-4066. You can see their inventory right on their website at bluestarmotorgroup.com. So check them out, I'm telling you. And keep in mind, if you're looking to sell your vehicle, they will come to you. They will give you cash on site and drive away with your car and leave you with bags and bags of cash. That's how easy it is. It's Blue Star Motor Group, bluestarmotorgroup.com. We got to have this interesting conversation here. And I've been talking about this the last couple of days, as you might imagine, as I don't know that signing day is bigger anywhere in the country than it is in Birmingham, Alabama. But signing day is a huge deal. And Texas A&M just officially logged, according to 24-7, which does a composite ranking of a variety of services, Texas A&M just locked in the highest ranked recruiting class in the history of recruiting. It is slightly higher than the class that Alabama signed in the 2021 cycle. They have, A&M, just signed seven five-star recruits and 19 four-star recruits. And it's interesting because everybody's going around saying, oh, well, Texas A&M has a lot of money. They're just using NIL and all this, which I didn't think was a bad thing. I don't know why it would it be. Doesn't, it, doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter why they signed with A&M. But Jimbo Fisher just went off on a press conference yesterday denying that, that any of this was true, acting like NIL had nothing to do with this. We don't need to use NILs. My coaches work their asses off and all this. And I sat there and I thought, you know, if I was an Aggie fan and that's true, I'd be pissed. Do you know that, that Texas and Texas A&M 
have the two largest endowments of any public universities in the country. Yeah. They've got gobs and gobs of money, and you now can legally give it to high school kids. And you yeah. expect us to believe that you didn't arrange for anything for any of these guys? Come on, what Jimbo. I, what I don't get why he's so upset about That's that. what I got. I was like, why, who cares? These are now the rules. It's like when people say, well, they, they're only enticing people. With Those are the rules. You can literally do whatever you want to do. And so I don't know why he's so defensive about it, which just makes me think that they did it. And, uh, you know, he thinks it's some shame to it because he grew up in an era where you couldn't do that legally. Yeah. Um, There's no shame. Use it. My God, why wouldn't you use it? Like Texas is literally giving every offensive lineman that signs with them $50,000. Guess what Texas just did? I had a guy on my show today that has been following recruiting for years. He said in his estimation, Texas just brought in the, the best offensive line class of any school ever. You know what they did? They used the money that they can legally use, and they gave it to kid and said, you're an offensive lineman? I don't give a crap what star rating you got. Sign with us. Here's 50 grand right off. That's, the way, that's where we are in uh, today's college athletics. Um, you can agree with it. You can disagree with it. You can choose to use it. You can choose not to use it. I mean, it's like the transfer portal. Dude, it's yeah. available. If you want to use it, use it. If you want to stay in a dinosaur age and not use it, then don't use it. Um, but it's a, it's an available tool, man. And um, I love it. I love it that yeah. some kids are getting paid. I love it that kids uh, can transfer basically, you know, whenever, whenever they want to. And here's the deal, bro. Some people will make some poor decisions. And guess what? They'll get penalized for it, and they'll have to learn from those poor decisions. And then some kids, like Joe Burrow, will make a great decision to transfer and won't get penalized. Yeah. Like Jamison Williamson. Williams make a great decision to transfer. And, and uh, reap the benefits of it. Yeah, I, I have absolutely no problems with it whatsoever. And I thought his reaction was so over the top and really odd and taking shots because Lane Kiffin a couple of days ago had just matter-of-factly said and, and basically was joking about it, you know, that we don't necessarily have the resources that some of these other schools have. He goes, I, and he kind of jokes, like, I made a joke the other day, you know, is Texas A&M going to have to pay a luxury tax for their NILs? And he, that set Fisher off. And I thought, you know, Fisher, you know where Lane Kiffin's getting that information from? From the kids he's trying to recruit that are telling him, A&M's offering me this, what can you guys do? And Kiffin's just going, we, I mean, we're not on that level. Um, and I can tell you that's a fact because in other conversations I've had with Deion Sanders about recruiting at Jackson State, he says, we're in on some kids until they start talking about what they're getting. And he's like, dude. We're at Jackson State. Yeah. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have boosters who have $100 million or who have $50 million who say, hey, we got this signed up for you. We can't compete with that, man. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, the reality of it is it's part of that where then the kid can make the decision. Like, okay, look, I, I want you to come play for me, whether it's Jackson State or Ole Miss. You know, here's what we can offer you. Maybe Jackson State, it's nothing. Maybe at Ole Miss, it's a, it's a little something. But we, we can't get on the level of A&M. So if that's no. what you want to do, I get it, but we'd love to have you. Some kids are going to say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to go play for you, like, like the number one recruit in the country did to go play at Jackson State. Other kids are going to go, well, I want the $500,000, so I'm going over here. And I'll right. tell you this, Jimbo Fisher is going into his fifth season. This is his fifth recruiting class. His previous four recruiting classes, they had five five-stars combined. He just signed seven in one class, and he wants us to believe that NIL had nothing to do with that. Yeah, he's tripping. But here's the deal. <laughs> Come on. 
uh, here's the bigger issue, man. And, and he's been a really terrific coach. Uh, A&M should end their national championship drought. They should. Uh, sometime in the next three years. Um, because you, those guys, five-star guys don't show up to stay four years. They show up to stay three. And this is your opportunity, and now you need to go do it. You have the players. Now it's about developing them and going to win the championship. Period. It is. That's that's it. Yeah, that's what I said today. It's like it doesn't matter. I don't. I don't care if you drove a pot of gold with a little dude dressed up like a leprechaun to get every recruit. It doesn't matter how you got them. You got them. Now they're on your campus. Now you have a generational opportunity here to change A and M from what they've been into potentially the new Miami, the new Florida State before Bobby Bowden got there. You know, those those types of programs that were basically nothingness, and then the right coach showed up at the right time and changed what our perception has been from them. Because reality is, A&M has only won 10 or more games once in the last 23 seasons. One time. Yeah. They're an average program. And, and Aggie's listening. I'm not. This is factual, and you guys know this. Jimbo Fisher has an opportunity with this class and the way he has been recruiting. He's had good classes. He has an opportunity to change what Texas A&M can be. But he oh, has to do no. it. Yeah, I mean, now, and, they, you know, it's about uh, developing these guys and about whether the quarterback they got is the real deal. Um, but most of it, it's about developing. Like, they signed seven five-stars. All of them aren't going to play to that, to that start. Right. But... They've also signed a couple of the last few years. And so, you know, you're hoping that, the, you know, three or four of them do. And, uh, you know, when you got that much talent, man, everybody's not going to pan out, but you got enough talent that enough of them will that you should, you know, you should be in the in the playoff, brother. Yeah, man. I mean, it, it's it's one of those things, though, when they said that and I thought, OK, let, let's let's be real about this. A&M went eight and four last year, has not sniffed a division title in the SEC in 10 seasons. Texas went five and seven and has been trash for a decade. Both of them are the two richest public universities in the country, and they both just signed top five classes in the first year of NIL. Come on. Ain't no Kawinka day, bro. <laughs> I mean, come on. And te- it's not like Sark's out there going, no, he didn't. You- I guarantee you that all those rich Texas boosters, I mean, Texas has something like $30 billion in endowments. The only school in America that has more is Harvard, public or private. I guarantee you, Texas is like, what does it cost to get these kids you want? Go go tell them whatever, whatever they need. Let's, I mean, make it happen. Yeah. So I don't know, man. That whole thing today was just. We'll see, like you said. I mean, it's up to Jimbo now. You've got the talent. The, these types of classes are the types of classes that win national championships. Oh, no, no doubt about it, bro. And if you do it right, you know, some of these guys should be first and second round picks mm-hmm. in three years. You know, I mean, that's just the way it should be done. So we move forth with you here. And before we do, again, we tell you quickly about a couple of our sponsors here, including somebody that you know maybe better than any of our sponsors, and that's Freeway Tire Shop. The job that JR will do with you guys, whether it's something as simple as an oil change or some of the more extensive work that Jacques has had done on his cars, when you are dealing with JR, you are dealing with the mechanic that you can trust. Well, for me, that's what it's all about, man. It's about trust. And, you know, when it comes to JR, I trust him to diagnose my problem with my car. That's the main thing. He just tell me what's wrong with the damn thing or, you know, one of my cars. And then it's about I trust him to use quality parts to fix it, man. I trust him to charge me a fair price to fix it. You know, he got to make a living, man. He got to pay his people. 
But I expect him to charge me a fair price, and then I expect him to stand behind his work. He does all those things. He does it consistently. He does it with no hassle, and that's why I tell everybody I know, take your car to JR, man. It's the place to be. They're the best. You're exactly right. Right there north of downtown Dallas off I-35. I mean, if if you're on I-35, you could throw a rock and hit it. It's literally that close, and you could be a horrible person of throwing. But Freeway Tire Shop, the place to take your vehicles, get it done, schedule an appointment, or request a quote online at freewaytireshop.com. So we take this trip around the block, and as we tell you about our sponsors, and we mentioned this the other day as we hit episode 200, we are looking for new sponsors, and we look for new sponsors to help keep the podcast going and to take care of some other things behind the scenes that make all this possible. So if you or somebody you know owns a business, and if it's local, or if you just happen to know somebody that owns a business, and you think that we might be able to help you out, uh, we'd love to expose all of our wonderful listeners and the support that they give us through you guys. We'd love to expose you to them. So shoot me an email if that's something that you might be interested in. Matt at jamsessionpodcast.com, M-A-T-T at jamsessionpodcast.com, and come on board. We'd love to have you and in our family of sponsors. The other thing I wanted to bring up here is I read this the other day, and this blew my mind. So apparently the space station that orbits the Earth and has been up in space for years and years that we all know, the International Space Station, is about to outlive its use, so to speak. And what NASA is doing is that we have developed the technology to where they are going to move on from this. Right. And they're going to do it in January of 2031. And you say, oh, that's interesting. Now, I don't really have a concept of how large the space station is. I just know that multiple people have been on it at one time. So I imagine it's fairly sizable. Hmm. Like, what is that? But what does fairly sizable mean? See, and I don't know. I, I, I have no idea. It, it's been up there since 2000. More than 200 astronauts from 19 different countries have been aboard at some point, and there has always been a continuous human presence in space because of this. But that now with the, you know, the emergence of like what Elon Musk is doing with SpaceX and some of these other things, commercially operated space platforms are going to replace the International Space Station as venues for collaboration and scientific research. And they're basically saying the private sector is technically and financially capable of developing and operating commercial low Earth orbit destinations with NASA's assistance. So they're going to start sharing kind of this realm and of space and whatnot with the rich people of the world. So that's cool. (laughs) So they are going to transition to commercial destinations when they retire the space station in 2030. So then you say, okay, what do you, what do you do with it? Right? What do you do if you're no longer, do you just leave it zipping around the earth in space? (laughs) They do not do that. Do you have any idea? I, I had no idea what they do with stuff like this. And I came, Um, this blew my mind. They put in a big landfill? Essentially. (laughs) There is a place in the South Pacific Ocean. It is known as the South Pacific Oceanic Uninhabited Area, known as Point Nemo. Point Nemo is the farthest place from land on Earth. Really? So it is surrounded. Essentially, there is, it is the farthest point from land anywhere on Earth. And so it is surrounded by the most water of any place on earth. And I didn't know this. 
This is where countries dump their space stuff. Isn't this weird? So it is approximately 3,000 miles off New Zealand's eastern coast and 2,000 miles north of Antarctica. And it is all these nations, they estimate U.S., Russia, Japan, and several European countries have sunk more than 263 pieces of space debris in this area since 1971. And that is where they will be landing the International Space Station. It'll hit the water and it'll sink. Jeez. Isn't that wild? It's amazing, bro. That's what I thought. I was like, man, if we could just drain the oceans, holy crap, the stuff we would find. But how do they get it there? I mean, is it a tow well, truck? No. So uh, uh, apparently they have all these technological calculations, and they said that they will perform thrusting maneuvers that will ensure safe atmospheric entry to where it enters, like at a certain latitude and longitude. And when they hit it perfectly right, it'll just drop right into where they want it to go. Oh, okay. How are you with your thrusting maneuvers? Well, my thrusting maneuvers tend to be okay, unless I have a pulled glute or something. Oh, okay. Just asking. But I don't know, man. This just, I thought, how wild is that, that there's this giant place in the ocean that is so remote that they just drop all the space station and, like, satellites and all kinds of crap over there. Dude, there's no telling what's in that in that land. That's what I was saying, man. That that watery landfill. Yep. There's just no telling, bro. Yeah, and apparently, like I was doing some reading on this, and there's like a 400 page document on how they handle all this in that region, and I guess they do some certain things to make sure that anything that they dump in there is okay, and basically will transition just into an underwater kind of habitat for fish and sea life and all that. I mean, I guess something's been floating around in space forever. There's no telling what kind of stuff it's picked up and is taken to the ocean. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, who knows what we've dropped into the ocean? And, and I mean, all this wild stuff, I, I, it's, I, just, I found that absolutely mind-boggling when I read that, that there's a place on Earth, one, called Point Nemo, and two, that we have like almost 300 things of space stuff just sitting down at the bottom of the ocean. It's a little scary, bro. It is a little scary. scary. The other thing, and this is pretty cool, and I don't know if this is breaking news or not. I didn't know about this until you sent it over to me. But an Arlington native named Mickey Guyton, who apparently is a country music star, and I'm unfamiliar with her, but she is going to sing the national anthem at Super Bowl 56 in Los Angeles. She also appears to be kind of a sister. And so... uh... You don't find many black country music singers. No, you really don't. I mean, outside not, of Darius not, Rucker and Cowboy Troy. Yeah, and, you know, not not women anyway. Not that I knew of. And so I was kind of, uh, all of that intrigued me. And so I haven't done it yet, but I was going around to look for some of her music to see what it sounded like. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to have to check that out as well. But apparently she grew up uh, singing at the Mount Olive Baptist Church in Arlington. And she began Been there several times. Well, maybe you've seen her sing. Uh, it's actually right around the corner from uh, AT&T Stadium. Okay. So she graduated from Mansfield High School, and she became the first black female solo artist to earn a Grammy nomination in a country category. Didn't I just tell y'all there's not a lot of black country women who sing country music? Yeah. She's the first Grammy-nominated one ever for her 2020 single, Black Like Me. So I've heard that song, so I have heard her sing before. Do you like it? Because I haven't heard it. Yeah, it's good. And, and Variety called it, the, called it the country music song of the year for 2020 in Variety oh, really? Magazine. All right. All so right, that's pretty right. cool. Good for her, man. 
I got to say, who, I don't even know who the halftime show is this year. I'm about to look it up. I have no clue. Do you? I, I never watch it, so I have no clue. Yeah, I've, I don't ever watch it either. Let's see who it is. It is... Oh, okay. It's it's Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, and more. And there's a picture of Snoop Dogg. So I guess he's a part of. Yeah. So Snoop Dogg is going to be in it. Mary J. Blige. It looks like okay. so. Eminem, huh? Yeah. It's it's okay. So it's Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, and Mary J. Blige. Well, okay. I'm I'm down with that. Yeah, that's some heavy hitters right there, man. Yeah. I wonder how they're going to get the bleeps off of that screen. There is no way. There is absolutely no way. And Snoop Dogg probably just going to roll out a joint on national TV and start puffing away. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against it. I wouldn't bet against I'm serious. Like I would be, he probably will. I mean, they're in California. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure the NFL will ask him not to. But yeah, hey. but dude, you got to think that the bleep, this is going to be the worst halftime show ever because it'll keep cutting in and out of audio from where they're bleeping everything. I don't know. Maybe they'll put, I mean, they've got clean songs that they put out. So we'll see. I just don't know why we got to censor this. Just let art be what it is. You know, I've always thought that was weird. Like you can't have like the F word or something on radio, but you can go on a, a, a trip to a museum when you're a kid and see boobs just that are painted on the wall. And that's totally fine. Hey man. Um, Cause that's never- art. I was going to say, it don't have to make sense. It's just what it is. I'm just saying. But, yeah, so that's the Super Bowl halftime show this year. I had no idea. That's, But I'm like you. Like I usually use the Super Bowl halftime show to actually get up and get some more food or a lot of the times <laughs> take a shower. Like I, have, I don't remember the last time I watched the Super Bowl halftime show. Me either. And I just have never really cared about it. I don't know why. I care about the game. I want to watch the game. <laughs> you know, I like the commercials. That, that's cool. But I've never felt like I was missing out. Even when I was at the game. I don't think I watch the halftime show all the time. <laughs> really? I'm serious. No. See, I think I mean, maybe was, being live, that might be kind of cool. Now, if it's somebody I liked, Prince, Whitney Houston, Diana Ross, Michael Jackson, yeah, I watched it. Yeah. But outside of that, I didn't. Yeah, wasn't Michael Jackson, didn't he do the Super Bowl the year the Cowboys beat the Bills? Or was that a couple yes, years before that? Uh, I don't know. So maybe I watched that on TV. Maybe I'm getting confused. I went to about 20-something Super Bowls. So some of them run together. So forgive me if I. Yeah, I was trying to see because you've been to a bunch of them. So you let's see. Let's see. So yeah, Michael Jackson was Super Bowl 27 the first year. The second year when it was in Atlanta, when they beat the Bills the second time, it was Clint Black, Tanya Tucker, Travis Tritt and the Judds. I don't remember that at all. Who was it in Super Bowl 30? In Super Bowl 30, it was Diana Ross. Okay, see, that's the first one. That was Diana Ross. All right. Okay. Did you, were you at the one in San Diego, Super Bowl 32? I was at everyone from like Super Bowl 30 to like okay. Super Bowl 52 or 3 or something like that. Yeah, because that, that would have been the year that the Broncos <laughs> knocked off the Packers. And that was Boys to Men, Smokey Robinson, The Temptations. That had to be yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure I watched that one, although I have no recollection of it. God, some of these I don't remember at all of these people performing Super Bowl halftime shows. God, that is wild. How do I not? I mean, I guess because I don't watch any of them. See, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I'm serious. Like, I didn't know that Bruce Springsteen did one, and that was in 2009 he did this halftime show. How did I miss that? (laughs) And I like Bruce Springsteen. God, man, I guess I'm going to have to start paying attention. Holy cow. Oh, I remember the weekend from last year. I think I caught a little bit of that because I love that song, Blinding Lights. I am unfamiliar with it. 
The Weeknd, the song Blinding Lights. Come on, that song's badass. Oh, I think I've heard it. I just didn't know that was the title. Of it. Oh, okay. I gotcha. All right. Well, so there you have it. A lot of fun to be had. And now you know who the hell is doing the Super Bowl halftime show. Let's do this and say hello to longtime Cowboys beat writer for the Fort Worth Star Telegram, brought to you by Soda Weight Loss. You know him well. He joins us every week. Clarence Hill Jr. jumping on with mm-hmm. us. And Chill, Jacques and I were just talking about this, but what do you make of the idea, Jerry saying, I guess today, when it comes to Randy Gregory, that their time together and the times they've had to work through will serve us well, kind of alluding to the idea that maybe there's a hometown discount to be had with the Randy Gregory free agency. Oh, I think that there's some loyalty that they think that, well, I think that Randy, they understand being in Dallas means Randy, them standing behind Randy throughout his tough times and, and never giving up on him and how much that means to him, how much um, consistency, you know, what he's gone through, uh, what he's been able to establish in Dallas to get his life back together, his career back to Dallas, that's important to him. And, and certainly, you know, you just don't want to go somewhere else and, and have things, you know, fall apart on you when you when you when your foundation is here and that's so much important. That's so important to his rehab and recovery and what he's doing and trying to keep his career on track. So that goes without saying that they, they should feel that Randy wants to stay here and will do whatever he can to stay here. But I mean, on the other side, he only gets one opportunity. Huh? There's always another side. Well, yeah, but you only get one opportunity to be a free agent, really. You know, and and, and you, you you know, you, you could have a career ending injury. You know, and you need to maximize your dollars. We're talking about a guy who last year, you know, worked at Amazon. You know, NFL player worked at Amazon when he was out the league. And so if someone offers him astronomical money, it's something he has to consider. The Cowboys can't just lowball him, thinking he's going to stay for peanuts. I mean, they do have to give him a respective contract, you know, that that's competitive on the market. But I think that if, as long as they're competitive, whatever's on the market, then he would want to stay, of course. I think that is the key phrase. Like, don't get in, uh, like, don't interpret his loyalty to Dallas as saying, and I'm just throwing numbers out there. Like, if the market says $12 million a year, you could go get him for seven or eight. That ain't that much loyalty in the world, man. So I think it's, if, you, if, if he wants to stay here, and we say this all the time, Chill, if you want to stay here and we want you, we can get a deal done as long as you're not trying to hose me. And so I think that's right. that's the only caveat there. Yeah, and, and certainly they want him here. You know, at the end of the day, I, I think that what we thought he would command in the middle of the season may be different than, than now. I mean, I think that there was a huge question about what he would be on the market when he was, you know, had that great start to the season. But at the end of the season, he had success. He had success. I, I don't know what I don't know what that you know he still hasn't you know played a full season, but I don't know what that commands on the market so i think that their ability to keep him at a more team-friendly contract is better now because of how the season ended anyway i would agree with that when it's interesting all, all these things with, with these free agents this is going to be an interesting year and it seems like they say something similar to this i guess every year but stephen jones said the other night basically about the salary cap we're going to have some tough decisions we're not going to be able to keep everybody we'd like to keep the cap is a real thing and they seem like they say this every year. They did it with the DAC contract. Well, you know, if, if we do too much, how are we going to put pieces around them and stuff? But who, who do you think are likely casualties 
of this current cap situation that they find themselves going into this offseason? I mean, you got 21 free agents, okay? And, and so when he, I mean, I, I would think theoretically they would like to keep the great majority of them. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's semantic saying we're not going to keep everyone you'd like to keep. You'd like to keep everybody. You know, a lot of these, a lot of these guys, you know, contributed to, to your success this year. Like, you look at the three states, you know, and, and you, you, you would hope to be able to bring all of them back, but that's not realistic. So you understand that you're not going to keep everybody. So I think you got to, you know, so saying that we, we can't keep everybody, yeah, you got to make decisions on which, which of the two or three safeties you, you try to bring back, you know, and, and, you know, and then you decide which young players you, you, you try to place them in the draft, bring to get another guy. But, you know, they're, it, you know, on top of those three agents, you do have decisions to make on Amari Cooper and decisions to make on the uh, Marcus Lawrence. You know, and, and whether you want to keep them, so they they do have some tough decisions to make. I don't see them. You know, we talk about Randy Gregory. I mean, just look at the tight end, and there's a question of whether the tight end is going to get top of the tight end money in Dalton Schultz. I'm not paying Dalton Schultz twelve million dollars. <laughs> yes, true that, true that, true that. You know, but if, if that's what the market demands, is what because of his numbers, you know, and, and he gets tired. If someone wants to pay him twelve million dollars. Then that's not, I don't think he'll put up the same numbers in a different offense, a different situation here, but that's on them. But, you know, I, I don't see, you know, this is a tight end friendly draft, a lot of tight ends in this draft. I just wouldn't do that. So those are the things when you talk about decisions, they want to keep people and, and that they can't keep everybody. No, you, you can't, you know, but that goes without saying they understand that and they're going to try to rebuild this roster, you know, but if there's some people that you, you would want to keep, like uh, J. Ron Kurt, you know, who's a free agent, and I think that the fact that Dan Quinn uh, didn't take a job and has come back. That that's a guy who would say that I want to stay in Dallas because you know Dan Quinn made me. You know he he was basically a journeyman football player. You know a backup guy in his first few stops to come to Dallas to come and and become a you know a vital part of this defense. He was the one who called the plays on this defense, not Michael Parsons, not in the linebackers. So so you want to bring him back. You know the question is you know what do you do with the other two things? You know, and, 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 you know, how do you navigate those guys? And, and, you know, and you can say what you want to say about Connor Williams, you know, he's a free agent, but you, you weren't re- able to replace him uh, with Connor McGovern. And that's still a hope, you know, and, and I, I know that I would try to move um, your right tackle to left, to left guard uh, and, 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 and go that direction if he's amenable to do that and try to fix the offensive line that way. But but uh, they do have some decisions to make, but I think that they can – they have enough move room. Uh, they have enough wriggle room on the cap, especially when you restructure guys like Dak Prescott to put a representative team on the field next year. You said something interesting there, and I always find this interesting. You're talking about moving Lyle Collins from right tackle to left guard if he's amenable to that. Like, dog, I'll just trouble you, Collins. Get your ass over there and play left guard if we ask you to play that. <laughs> <laughs> like you ain't been like you you not on Tyron Smith's level. You not no superstar right now. So get your ass over there and play left guard. That's just me you, though. You, you, you would think that, that that that'd be the easiest thing to say. <laughs> you know, I mean, plus you already right been guy. paid, so you ain't losing right, right, no money well, right now. Well, well, I mean, you might want to get paid again, sir. I mean, well, mother, you know, his career's not over. You almost had me cussing out here. But then, <laughs> Why? Well, then play better, and you'll get that second contract you would like. <laughs> Fair well, enough. And he may get that, but I'm just saying, but, but, but that's part of it. That's one reason why he wants to move guard attack anyway, because guards get paid. You know, and, and, and you can say what you want about him. He took a team friendly deal to stay in Dallas. 
he would have got way more pregnancy if he if if if, if he'd have went to pregnancy. And then he owes something to the Cowboys for, for rescuing him, I guess. You know, after his situation, after the draft. So there's all that into it. But yeah, I would I would you know to to fix uh, the offensive line, I would move Lyle Collins left guard and move Terrence Steele full time right tackle. I forgot what I was about to say. I just had an old man moment. Is that my first old man moment? Oh, my yes, gosh. I, Dude, listen, you ain't even listen, your 50 shit. We ain't trying to listen, hear that shit from you. Listen, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to admit this to you. The first time I said this, I couldn't think of Terrence Steele's name. <laughs> that's why. Why? That's why. That's why. And then, that's and then, why, and then I, we talked to it, and then, then I, oh, yeah, the Terrence Steele, you move him yeah, those, those moments happen, sir. Well, see, that's why I jumped in there to save you, man. I, I can feel that pain coming from you. You didn't mention Terrence Steele's name either. Because I couldn't remember it myself. <laughs> no, I opened my mouth to say something. I was like, what the hell did I just think? I was yeah, like, oh, and, and now I remember. I was going to ask you, with, with Dak pulling out of the Pro Bowl, do you make anything of that, of him saying he just wants to keep – didn't want to go through that process. Was he perhaps more injured than maybe we realized? I don't know if he was more injured, but I think he was more worn down. Can we say that? Yeah, fair. Yeah, you know, after a whole season of off-season last year of rehabbing and, and not doing anything, a full off-season of rehabbing, you know, focusing on being able to play and then playing and then having a calf injury and going through that, and then the way the season – ended he's worn down mentally and physically you know he's been a whole year off re- his whole off 2021 was about rehab you know and and, and he, so he's worn down physically and mentally you know it's interesting that he uh and i can tell you he did an interview yesterday with the local media right for, for 7-eleven in the uh promo when they were talking to the media they said you cannot ask no questions about the 49ers game you have no questions about the officials Okay, whatever. There, those questions were embargo outlawed, okay? You know, so, you know, you go to the Pro Bowl, and I think that's another thing. You go to the Pro Bowl, and you're fair game for all, everybody that's come to talk to you. So those those things are going to be asked. I, I think it's also about controlling that the message and avoiding topics you don't want to talk about. You know, right, right. right. So, so you, you go to the Pro Bowl, you're going to be asked about, you know, trashing officials and all that other stuff. And, and, and the third, and, and, you know, that final 14 seconds and, and all the, you know, stuff like that. Now, he's, you know, talking about how tough it was in the season and there's going to be a bad taste in his mouth, but, you know, there was no questions about, you know, the the details of, of that last play and certainly how he treated the fishers. But that was off limits. Well, you couldn't make that as Pro Bowl. You can't, you can't control that situation as Pro Bowl. So I think it's a little bit of everything. Him, him one being beat down physically and mentally and, and wanting to step away and recharge. But at the end of the career, I mean, you can say what you want about these so-called Pro Bowls and whatever else, at the end of the career, you want him on your ledger. Right. Yeah, he has two. You know, and, and at the end of the career, you, you, you want those things on your ledger. So he, he purposely, did, you know, is not putting this on his ledger, you know, because of what he's gone through this past year. And hopefully, you know, it, it you know, it, he gets to recharge and heal and, and, and rehab. Right. And, and we talked, I don't know if we talked about it last week, but remember, Zach has never gone through a full off season with Mike McCarthy. The first right. offseason, Mike McCarthy got, he was in the contract, and he was holding out. So he never did a rehab, no, never did the offseason program, the quarterback school, all of that stuff. The last offseason, he was rehabbing, you know, and so he was not, you know, involved, you know, in a, in a complete offseason quarterback school program 
uh, Mike McCarthy. This is the first time he will have a full offseason with Mike McCarthy, and that's important. Is it important so that he can get a more nuanced, even more nuanced look at the offense? Is it important so that he can get a better rhythm with his receivers, although who knows who's going to be there? Why is it so important to get that full offseason? Well, I mean, I just think it's, it's comfort. I mean, I'm, I, I think that the, the more you do something, the more comfortable you're in it. Comfortable you're in it. And it you know, just like when, when Matt McCarthy about, talked about being in the playoffs, you know, you, you get, you become, and you work your, it's never a new, it's, it's not a new thing every time they go. I mean, the Cowboys have been so disjointed. They get to the playoffs one year, they get, they're not in the playoffs. Then it's, then you're, you're starting it, 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 the thing over again, getting to the playoffs with a new team and new players again. And, and you want to be able to, well, this is old hat. This is comfort. It's the thing that I, I can feel good about this, that that you can do, and the same same thing about just being with Mike McCarthy and and, and that comfortable level with the coach and the offense and what you're trying to do. Well, you know, obviously the receivers, you know, the chemistry can come. I mean, his chemistry with with uh, Amari Cooper came immediately without an offseason program. As soon as he showed up, they had chemistry. You know, going back to 2018, so so that could happen. So you want that? They didn't get to do as much of that last year, but again, him is it's the same thing with C.D. Lamb. I mean, he has not had a full offseason with C.D. Lamb. You know, you go back again as a rookie, C.D. Lamb. You know, they may have did some things at his house, but they, but Dak was holding out. Last year, Dak was 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 rehabbing, and you know, uh, we had somebody else running the first team offense. You know, with with throughout, you know, OTAs and minicamps. You know, so those things matter, and so yeah, just just being comfortable. You know, with, with second hand, second nature, them getting to know each other, all the other stuff should uh, foster. A better result, but again, we all know we, we can talk to we blue in the face. And no one cares about anything about no one cares about anything about this Cowboys team until the playoffs start next year. <laughs> if they get to the playoffs, that's you, true. You, 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 you can you can you can go four, uh, 17 and zero. If you lose your first playoff game, here we go. No one's gonna trust them until they do something in the playoffs. That's very true. I mean, that, that's reality. I'd rather no, I, I'd rather them go nine and eight and win the Super Bowl than go seventeen and zero and lose in the first round. Who cares? <laughs> Right, it, 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 you know, it doesn't matter. And again, and and I listen. I love everything that's happened. You know, with the guys in the playoffs and Joe Burrow. You know, those guys have won. Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford have won as many playoff games this offseason. The Cowboys have won since nineteen ninety seven. God, don't say it like that, man. But it's true. <laughs> but don't you got to say it like that? Oh, this franchise. Three, but it's but it's not because they've been great. You know, and, and 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 that's how it is. It's not because they've been great. Uh, they've had all great games. They've come out. I mean, Matt Stafford easily could have lost that game last Sunday. He threw up an interception that you know Tart you know can't catch the cold butt naked in Alaska. He dropped. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna t- take one over. second, man. But but at the end of the game, he threw up. You know, so you know things happen like that. You have to have a little luck with it, but. But that's part of it. And then it was having 11th, 15th year, whatever year in the league, and, and Barrels in his second year. But it doesn't matter. You just got to do it. It's true. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, that's why you're playing in this in the game is to do that in the playoffs. And the lack of ability of the Cowboys over the last 25 plus years to get this done is just stunning. Yeah. No, it is, man. And, and, and it's, something that's, it, it's, it's something that's on Dak's ledger, you know? But, but, but you know, again, I go to, the, to Burrow. You know, Cincinnati winning that game against Kansas City was about the defense. It wasn't necessarily about Burrow, who threw an interception in the fourth quarter. It wasn't about him. You know, he, but he didn't mess it up, you know, when he had a chance. But that was that defense setting Kansas City out in the second half. And and, and, and Patrick Mahomes, you know, pissing down his leg. We never thought. 
<laughs> That's true, though. He, I mean, he I, did. It's true. They kicked the field goal in the first half. We have we having a different discussion. I agree. I mean that that last uh, the first half it, it totally it changed the complete game. Yeah. Yeah, it, was, it became Texas Tech, Patrick Mahomes, or whatever it was, but it was it was arrogant. It was arrogance. <laughs> <laughs> There's no other way to call it. Chill. What's your take? Your thought on Brian Flores and this lawsuit and what the NFL is going to do with all this? All right, I don't know what the NFL is going to do because initially they, you know, tried to say that they had no merit without the investigation, which which is crazy. Uh, but I mean, if you talk to anyone, uh, black coaches, anyone in the industry, you understand that a lot of those and. It, you know, there's so many legs to this lawsuit, but as far as the Rudy rule, a lot of those interviews are token interviews. They're sham interviews. We we understand that. There's nothing wrong with the Rooney rule if both sides have integrity toward the process. The problem is how do you make someone have integrity toward the process that they don't respect? And and and, and they will just they're just going through the motions because they're gonna hire the guy they want to hire anyway. But this this is not surprising. He's just saying the quiet part out loud. The problem is that most black coaches gone along to get along just to stay in the system in the pipeline to hope against hope that maybe one day, you know, their number was called, that they, they'd get the opportunity. But many coaches feel the way he felt or the way he's feeling. He just said, I'm not playing the game anymore. I'm getting off the hamster wheel. What do you think, uh, what do you think will happen? Me, I, I meaning you think a settlement, dismissal, victory? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know because uh, I don't think he's willing to settle. I, don't, I, I think he's He's like, you know, I, I think he's in it for the long haul because you don't do this. And he admits that his career may be over and all that stuff, even though he's still a finalist for a couple of head coaching jobs. But he's in it for the long I don't think he's about settling for, you know, and make it go away with, with, with uh, you know, everything under disclosure of uh, nothing disclosed about, about what happened. I think he's in it to win it. But my thing is that I don't think real change will happen unless the players get involved. You know, it's one thing for these coaches to step up, but as long as the players, black players, white players, all the players continue to play and, and not are willing to sacrifice their contracts for the greater good uh, of advancement, then, then nothing will happen because the players are the lifeblood of the league, not the coaches. Until the players, the players step up and say, we're not going to take it anymore, we're not going to have it anymore, this should be improved, nothing's going to change. I don't know ultimately whether it can change just because you can't ultimately tell people who to hire if you Jerry Jones or whomever. You know what I mean? Ultimately, no, I, I agree. But at the end of the day, it, it, it to me, the players have to step up and, and, and say, you know, we want something different. Just like to me, it's like with the Kaepernick team. You know, you, the players, you know, did not want to sacrifice their contracts or sacrifice their situations. Uh, you know, to support Kaepernick, you know, as a whole. And, I, you know, I, I just think that it's up to the players. If, if change is going to be made, whether it's this issue, whether it's guaranteed contract, whether whatever it is, the players have to be willing to toe the line. And they haven't been willing to do that. But any of the major issues that are facing the field. All right, Chill. As always, man, we appreciate the thoughts and the conversation. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. See you, man. Hey, bro. All right, there he is, Clarence Hill Jr. Before we move on, we're going to do a little peep show here. But speaking of peeping, you, have you peeped a crack in your wall? Maybe a door that's sticking? <laughs> How about that for a segue? 
That's pretty damn good. <laughs> if you have, you need to get on it, man, and call Aaron and his guys at HFX Foundation Solutions. We tell you all the time, the earlier you catch things like this, the better. Because then they can come out, they do the free, no obligation inspection. Maybe you do have something wrong. And and yeah, that'll be tough, but they offer third-party financing. The key is to catch it as early as possible so that if there is a problem with your foundation, you're helping to save yourself. Believe it or not, you're actually saving money the sooner you find out about it. Dude, I think we call it a colonoscopy for your house for a reason. Let HFX and Aaron come over there and check your house out. Make sure everything's good, man. If they find something, chances are, chances are they found it in the early stages, which means it'll cost a fraction of what it would if you catch it later. And if they don't find anything, hopefully, then it's all good for you, man. It is. It is all good for you, and it's easy. All you got to do is give them a call, 817 817- Seven seven zero zero one seven four. You can find them online at hfxfoundation.com. They're A-rated with the Better Business Bureau. And again, it's a free, no obligation inspection. Have a, if, if you think you have a foundation problem and you've noticed some of the signs we're talking about, the best thing you can do is call them and talk Aaron through it. And he'll tell you, yeah, you know what? Let's get out there and do the, the, the inspection and then see if you do have a problem or not. 817 HFX Foundation Solutions. So the peep show, man, you know, when football season starts to slow down and we haven't had any football games since last Sunday and there were only two, kind of gives you a chance to catch up on some damn good television that's been out there. And I got to tell you, knocked out season, well, the first seven episodes of season four of Ozark. And that's one of those shows that I'm going to need to go back and watch from the beginning again. But that, that might be a top five of all time. Which, the last episode or the season? I'm just saying that the entirety of the whole thing. The entirety of Ozark oh. as a whole. Oh, yeah, 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 man. Oh, oh, man. Just when I thought they couldn't surprise me, Dude, they surprised me. My God. <laughs> and I thought it was fantastic. Matter of fact, um, I wouldn't rewatch that scene. And if you know, you know. And if you don't, you don't. I wouldn't rewatch that scene, dude, literally probably four times five times six times before i could move on because i was so shocked (laughs) even though i shouldn't have been but i was there's a few of them and and i know exactly what scene you're talking about but right and i'm trying not to ruin it for people who haven't seen it yet so you know that's why i said if you know you know and if you don't you don't man it's the one thing about this that I can't wait to find out, I, I have no idea how they wrap this thing up. I mean, we're seven episodes no. away from the end, and I have no clue. Okay, let me ask you this, man. I, I was thinking about this while I was watching it, and I said, I'm going to ask Matt this, especially because he's a theater guy. Give me your three favorite characters and why. Number one, and I, I think a lot of people may feel this way, but number one yeah. for me is Ruth. She, to me, and I'm, then I'm going to let you finish. She's, to me, what your boy was in Breaking Bad. I, are you talking about Jesse? Yeah, like, he wasn't supposed to be the star. Yeah. But he played the, the I almost cursed, I wasn't trying to. He played that role so good and got so much mm-hmm. better as the series went on that it forced him to become a star. And that's to me, that's what she is. Yeah, she's incredible. I mean, her range... Plus, like, if you ever hear her in real life, I mean, she she truly becomes somebody completely different. And she's got the, her ability to carry this little girl. She's so defensive and she's such a bitch half the time. But deep inside this character is this little girl desire to just be loved. 
Yeah. And, and, I, and I really think she carries it with her that you see in all of her scenes. You know, that's part of her thing with, with her cousin Wyatt. And that's part of the reason why she, you know, she doesn't like Marty and she gives him shit, but she'll still do a lot of what he asks is because she just wants somebody to see her, to just see her. Yeah. And man, yeah. She, I mean, she is phenomenal. I mean, that is a phenomenally wonderful character. Oh, no, no. They, they, the reason why the show is so good is the whole show is filled with phenomenal characters. That's why I said, who's your, who's your top three favorites? So, Ruth, okay, I, I can ride with that. I mean, I can ride with all of them. So, yeah, I get Ruth. Yeah. I mean, it, and then, honestly, like, I keep thinking about this. And I will tell you this, and he's not in this season. And I, I thought the monologue he did last year, but her brother, and I can't remember his name, off the top of my head, but her brother that came and visited them and is he no longer showed up and turned out. Yeah. I mean, that dude, that character was just on a different level and he was manipulative and he was, he was schizo and he was just, he was so really, really good. I liked him a lot. And man, you know, I, um, the Jason Bateman character, Marty bird. See, I was going to say to me, he's <laughs> subtly terrific. My God, like he, somebody will call him and be like, Marty, we have to tell you something. And he's like, yes. It's like, uh, we just cut off the fingers and the arms and everything of everybody you love. And so I need you to do this or we're going to chop your head off. And he goes, all right. Okay. You know, Dude, he, he, I he, like he's just, he never panics and you, you get like this. He's so intellectual or something that he just sees the world like the matrix. And so you've presented now a problem in the matrix that I have to figure out how to solve. I love his cadence, the way he talks. Yes, exactly. <laughs> because it's always so measured. And just like you're saying, it's always so calm, no matter what the dire circumstances are. And everybody around him is freaking out. And he's just uh, he's just measured about it, man. So, um, yeah, I like that. I like that, man. So you got Ruth, you got uh, your girl's brother, and you got uh, Marty. Yeah. Um, I would say for me, and I, I was trying to see if I was being authentic with this. I'm going to probably say Ruth is my favorite, but like one tenth of a second behind her. Guess who I'm going to say for me? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's uh, what's Darlene. Damn, you're good, bro. Yeah. I mean, it's only a tenth of a second. And I went back and forth. That's why I said I need to make sure I'm being authentic. I'm not just saying it'd be different. I love Darlene, man. She is the epitome of trailer trash, but she loves and she, but she loves. And so you see this softer side of her, but then as soon as you wrong her, she's ready to kill you. And she will pull out the gun and kill you. Like yep. without a moment, without oh a moment's God. thought. Yeah. No, no hesitation like, at holy all. Shit. God, woman, calm um, down. But you see her sensitive side and then you see the way she rages. And to me, she's just a fascinating character. And then I think, uh, I think the third one, man, is, is Marty. But I tell you what, man, Laura Dern is giving him a run for the money because she's psycho. She's crazy. You talking about Laura Lenny? I mean, Laura Lenny, as yeah, Wendy Bird, his wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I almost put her up there because she. And I will say, like, if you go back and you watch at the beginning, it was more Marty who was the puppet master of all of this, and her transition into a real hardcore almost like a Walt White type. She's become somebody completely different who will kill anybody at any time and has, has really submerged herself into that world. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, 
it's crazy how how it works, man. And uh, the way that they do it is really, I mean, it's a fantastic show, man. It's uh, it's got violent. I've never had a show. I don't think I've had a show. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to say it like that. It's one of the few shows I like this much with no gratuitous sex in it. Yeah, it's very true, man. This show is phenomenal. I, I, it is. It truly, really is an absolutely phenomenal show. And it's, like I said, when it's all said and done, this is one of those that I will definitely go back and watch again from the front and the very beginning because I do think it's that good. And I don't know when the next part of season four, four is supposed to come out. I, it, I guess it's going to be after the nominations for the Emmys and all that, uh, the deadline, right. which is like in June, I think. So No, no, no. I, I read something on that, and they said that's exactly what they were doing. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, I wrote the dates down somewhere, or I took a screenshot of the dates, yeah. but they were like, uh, once it moves into the next Emmy thing, they were going to release it so they get more awards or hope, hopefully get more awards. So, but it was like four months or something. It wasn't like years. Yeah. And so, yeah, we nailed that. And then, you know, billions, the final season of billions is out and they're just doing it. it one episode a week comes out on showtime. So we're two episodes into season six and you got to wait. It releases every Sunday, but that show, I, I'm a big fan of that show. It's, it's up there for me as well. I'm waiting because Reacher, the television show, which is an adaptation of the Lee Price books about Jack Reacher, and Tom Cruise made a couple of movies, and he was not Jack Reacher. The dude in the previews for this TV show looks exactly how I pictured Jack Reacher in my mind. So I can't wait to see this Amazon Prime version of Reacher, and that drops, I I believe, when many of you, yeah, tomorrow, February 4th. When many of you are listening to this, Reacher will then be available on February 4th. So I'm stoked about that. Dude, uh, that dude looks like a, a uh, what do you call it? Like a bodybuilder. He I mean, is beastly. And he is like that one scene where they show him and he's just ripped with the six pack. And But in the books, they talk about Reacher is like larger than life. And, you know, not that he has superhuman strength, but he's stronger than a normal person would be. He's a highly skilled former military police guy, and he knows how to fight and hand-to-hand combat is an expert in all this stuff. And so finally you have a guy who just physically fits the way that he is described in the books. Yeah, not like Tom Cruise, five seven hundred forty-five no, no. pounds. No, not at all. I mean, th- this is the way he's supposed to be, where he's bigger than everybody in every room, and when he punches you, he can kill you with one punch, like Deontay Wilder type strength. Oh, okay, I gotcha, I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, like that type of stuff. And that dude looks like the kind of guy who would be able to do that. So I like that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I don't know when I'll get around to watching it. Hadn't even started yet, but I'm behind on some other shows, so they got to get in line. Yeah, there's some other shows that, you know, other seasons are on the way that are coming out and just kind of hopscotch around. I really want to try. We just got a free trial. We haven't activated it yet, but the Paramount Plus, because, man, the more people that I hear talk about Yellowstone, every single person that I hear talk about Yellowstone is you've got to watch it like it's incredible. And then somebody described it to me like it's a cross between Sons of Anarchy and The Sopranos. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm in. (laughs) Dude, that's a hell of a, uh, I don't even know what to think about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, so I don't know. And I I just, I'm, if 10 people have told me about Yellowstone, all 10 of them are like, the show's incredible, you got to watch it. All right. Just got to make time for it. then. Yeah. And that's one of those things because there's multiple seasons. I think there's 36 something episodes 
or 39 episodes and there's been four seasons of it so now with reacher coming out i'm going to hit reacher first because i've read every single reacher book i absolutely love the book reacher coming out is like how i felt when bosch came out like i was ecstatic about bosch coming out because reacher right. and bosch are probably my two favorite books to read where there's like 20 25 books on each character and i've read every right. single one so i can't wait to see how they bring that to episodic television yeah no 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 joke so I'm, I'm very excited about that. And I, and I like action stuff, so. It should be badass, man. And then you were saying you've been watching something called Undercover? Yeah, man. Uh, it's in season three, and they seem like they took a year off before they came out with season three. And it's uh, it's about. Uh, oh, okay. Undercover. Yeah, yeah. It's Undercover. And it's it's one of, it's the rare show that's filmed elsewhere. And I think they they uh, film it in another language, but they dubbed it so good. I can't tell. Now, maybe somebody else could tell if they were speaking another language, but I can't tell. And so uh, the first two seasons, uh, it ended up they got the undercover. The target of the undercover was busted Um, after two years of undercover work. They got him and they sent him off to jail. And now um, the guy who who caught him. And the target of the undercover now have to work together so that they can both get out of some some trouble that they've that they've uh, been put into. Uh, so it's it's a, it's a I think that part is a tad bit cliched, uh, but the acting is good and how they work together is good. And so uh, now we'll see. Uh, the one thing uh, the series is lacking is what Matt that turns me off. Surprising death. There you go. See, yeah. this is why this is my boy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they don't, they haven't really had, there's, you know, there's no surprising death. So it's a lot more drama and intrigue, but you don't have to worry about one of the stars getting popped. Yeah, and that's one thing. That's why you love Ozark, because in Ozark, I mean, not like the main, main people, but there's some pretty damn main people at times where you're just like, holy shit, I did not expect that guy to get capped. Yeah, or I didn't expect that person to get popped at that particular time. Yeah, like just, I mean, they are just killing people. And that's what I wonder with Ozark. I don't, I, like, I wouldn't be surprised if you wind up and it's the first show ever that kills everybody that's on it. <laughs> even well, the, I wouldn't be Even su- the kids. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be surprised if the, uh, if, if I mean, Wendy and Marty, if Wendy and Marty got popped. I mean, I, I, honestly, like, I don't know how anybody survives. I don't know how they all survive. It's so entangled and so... Like, just crazy, off. I mean, it's insane. It's insane. I don't know how Marty gets him out of this. I really don't. Plus, plus you're in that world where that's what happens to people in that world. You yeah, they don't popped. care. Like, they have no hesitation about killing you. Yeah. As we have I mean, seen. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's God. Just, I mean, when they, when, they, when they popped the lawyer at the end of season three. Holy crap. I was just like, <laughs> I, watched, I rewatched that one about 20 times because I was just like, how did that happen? Yeah, man. I mean, and, and it's, I tell you, and if you guys are like, haven't seen it yet, that was two years ago. So calm down. Yeah, relax. You've had plenty of time. Yeah, plenty. Speaking, did did you ever see the reality show on Netflix that was called Love is Blind? Where, yeah. it, where they sat in just pods and all they did was have conversation and they never saw each other ever until they had asked each other to, to get married? Yeah, I love that show. Well, it was se- fascinating. Season two comes out next Friday, February eleventh. Does it? Yes, and that is another show that ha- that that show came out in twenty twenty. It's been two years since season one of Love Is Blind, and season two is coming out next week. 
Wow, I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah, I know, man. I thought the same thing. But that that show that show will hook you in because it is extremely original, the fact that they don't see each other at all, and they just talk and fall in love with their conversations, and then they see each other as they're walking to get married. Yeah, but that's kind of how you wish it should be because you can take away all the ancillary stuff away yeah. and just figure out whether you dig the person. The only problem is, and this happens or has happened, you know, you really fall in love with somebody, that this and then you look at him, you go, well, now, you know, I'm 5'11 as a woman and he's five foot four. Huh. Is that, do I, do, do I really ride with that? Or he's just not attractive to me at all. And so um, all of that's interesting when it goes down. It is, man. So be looking forward to that next week. But there's, We've talked about this before. We are in the age of television where you, there is constantly something coming out. And a lot of the times it's really, really well done television, which I'm, I'm all about. I love it. That was fantastic, bro. Fantastic. All right. Before we get into our conversation with Ed Werder, let's tell you about another one of our lovely sponsors. Maybe the loveliest of all. It's Kinley Rose, the online women's boutique. Have you checked out the selection at KinleyRose.com? K-I-N-L-E-Y Rose.com. Especially guys have been telling you about this. Valentine's Day is right around the corner. It is coming up. It'll be here before you know it. You know what makes a great Valentine's Day gift? It's easy for you, and she's going to love it. It's an e-gift card to the Kinley Rose Boutique online. You can find it online at KinleyRose.com. Focusing on attainable style without sacrificing comfort. Maybe you just want to get her an outfit yourself, or maybe you'd like to put it up to her. And ladies listening, you can get your new outfits, cute date night outfits, outfits for all kinds of occasions, online at the local small business, the online women's boutique known as Kinley Rose. You can check them out on Instagram as well at Shop Kinley Rose, or find them online at KinleyRose.com. It is time, as we do throughout the course of the football season, with yet another week to come with the Super Bowl to check in with our ESPN NFL insider, brought to you, as always, by Medea from Scratch and their three great locations around the DFW area. Ed Werder jumping in with us. And, Ed, before we get started and, and, and looking at ahead, really, to the Super Bowl, Rich Dalrymple today, Cowboys PR director, announces that he is going to retire after 32 years I'm sure that you have known Rich probably all of those 32 years. What, what's your favorite memory of Rich Dalrymple with the Cowboys? <laughs> uh, <laughs> there it is. I've known I've known Rich for most of my uh, most of his 32 years in Dallas. I think he came in in 1990. I was there in '89, but then left and then came back in '92. From so from '92 on, uh, I've interacted with Rich, and I mean I think he's one of the best in the entire league. He he obviously prioritizes, um, you know, his interactions and responsibilities with, with Jerry and Steven and the head coach and whoever the starting quarterback is. And then, you know, sort of I think he does a great job delegating the rest of the responsibilities to others in his, uh, in his organizational structure who are well qualified. And then, you know, they always know that he's available for consultation uh, uh, as needed. But, yeah, I mean, obviously when – when you sometimes have a contentious relationship uh, with an organization, with the owner, and as I mentioned, he's protecting the owner, uh, there have certainly been times where Rich and I were uh, coming from different places, I guess. Uh, maybe <laughs> didn't, didn't have the best relationship. Um, 
you know, when the owner points a finger in your chest and calls you a liar and says you're immoral, then, you know, Rich and I probably weren't in a good place at that time. Uh, but more recently, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that uh, once I came back to ESPN, uh, we've had a really good last three years and, and very helpful to me in terms of getting players after games and proving that. Uh, we got almost anybody we wanted. We knew better than to ask for Dak more than once or twice a year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, 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 there's, there, there were a lot of times. I mean, I remember – so here's, here's a, a, a story I'll share. So at the end of Michael Irvin's career, the very end of Michael Irvin's career, when he got hurt that day, that fateful day in Philadelphia, couldn't get up, uh, you know, the next day – uh, I reported from sources that Michael Irvin's career was in jeopardy. This was a career-threatening injury that he had narrowing of his spinal column. And when I arrived at Valley Ranch, I got a call from Rich, and and Rich was saying he was looking out for me, but that he hadn't he didn't know what I reported because my sense was he didn't want to give me credit for actually listening to anything I said on the air. And so he said he was looking out for me, but he had not heard that Michael Irvin's uh, injury was career-threatening, and so I had to tell him that while I'm very confident in my sources, I would you know, go beyond all measures to make sure that I was reporting accurately uh, on something of this magnitude. But uh, So that's just kind of one example. But uh, we got along most of the time, but there were certainly uh, periods of time where there was some level of acrimony, um, and he might not always have uh, appreciated how full-headed I could be, I think is maybe how he would describe that. What do you think his best trait was as a PR guy? His best trait? I don't, you know, I was, because I've been asked, like, who, well, who, by people in the league, like, who do you think is going to replace Rich? And I'm like, I, I don't really know. I just never imagined that, you know, that Rich would leave. Um, uh, I'm glad to hear that he's leaving of his own volition, um, that he's healthy, and that this is because, you know, that he wants to go, you know, be close to his grandkids. He has one now and one on the way. Uh, you know, my sense is that, you know, he went to the John Madden funeral as did Troy Aikman and Jerry Jones. And, you know, that there was sort of maybe an epiphany there about, you know, leaving when the time is right, like John Madden did in, you know, two different careers phases, his coaching career with the Raiders and then uh, his career as a Fox and ESPN commentator. Um, so, I, but I really, I never imagined this. So I, it's really hard for me to think, like, who's going to replace Rich? Like, it, it, what he did is so unique in the way he, you know, the professional way he conducted himself is just so unique to me that I can't even imagine who could who could take his place. Uh, I can't imagine what great advice he gave Jerry, you know, because, I mean, Jerry's kind of a danger to himself in, in, in the public in a lot of situations. Uh, well, see, I was, was going to say that's, the, that's what you have to do. You have to find somebody that Jerry will respect enough yeah. To listen to some of the time. Right. Or at least heed their advice or take their counsel and deliberate deliberate over it. And that's the trick is you gotta find somebody that Jerry will respect like that. Otherwise, dude, he'll just be off doing his own thing and they'll be you know, I mean it'd be great for us, but uh, I think yeah, I think the greatest thing that Rich did and as far as Jerry's concerned is he he must have given him awfully good advice generally speaking, because there haven't been a lot of times in 30-plus years that Jerry's had to engage in really serious damage control. Or there could have been a lot more times where that was his priority than I think uh, we've seen. Uh, because Jerry speaks his mind, and it's, that's, not, that's not always good for the organization or the public relations department. 
Um, and yet there haven't really been a lot of instances, you know, recently where Jerry's been put in that kind of situation. No, no. Um, as we move on to uh, football matters, what do you think about Matt Stafford just in general and what, what this game coming up means for him? And I don't want to say legacy, but I'll say legacy. Well, I mean, being how you're viewed as a quarterback ultimately is about, you know, how many Super Bowls you won. And for a player who spent 13 years in Detroit, and I think everybody always regarded him as a very talented guy, but he didn't have um, the reputation of being a winner. Um, you know, the, the Lions didn't make the playoffs very often, and when they did, they never won. And for him to now, you know, change teams and take advantage of the opportunity that Sean McVay and Les Steed have, have provided and, you know, putting together, you know, complementary talent that, that you could win it all with, I think that, that means a lot. Like, don't you think in general opinions of Matt Stafford are much higher now than when the Rams acquired him? I mean, I think most people yeah. thought the Rams mm-hmm. were making a good move and were sort of solidifying their status as Super Bowl contenders because we knew of the physical talent that Matthew Stafford had. Certainly compared to a guy like Jared Goff, who had taken the Rams to the Super Bowl three years before. But, I mean, I think everybody respects him as, you know, a top-level a top level thrower. But now it's gone beyond that. Like, he's the guy you can win with. He's the reason you can win any game you play, even in the postseason, where he never previously demonstrated uh, that ability. What do you think about the way the Rams have done this, where they haven't had their people forget their last first round draft pick was Jared Goff in 2016. They don't have another one till 2024. (laughs) They've given them all up for Stafford and Ramsey and Brandon Cooks and variety of other things that they've been doing. But do you see this as a model that if they win the Super Bowl, other teams may look at and say, well, why can't we do that? I think it's a model that people should look at that way right now, regardless of whether they win the Super Bowl. Uh, it's obviously a non-traditional approach that, that Les Snead and, uh, has taken. I guess you got to give him most of the credit for it because he also did the unconventional thing and hired Sean McVay as a head coach when he was 30 years old. Um, I mean, we're talking about Kevin O'Donnell leaving their staff as a quarterback coach and going and becoming, after the Super Bowl, the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, and McVay's still younger than him. Like he'll, o- O'Connell will be the second youngest coach, head coach in the NFL. McVay will still be the youngest head coach in the NFL. He'll have been to two Super Bowls. So that's the first move that Les Steve, the general manager, made that was unconventional. But, yeah, going out and you know acquiring Jalen Ramsey and Odell Beckham Jr. and Sony Michelle um, and, and mostly Matt Stafford, yeah, I think that's going to make a lot of people rethink the way they value draft picks versus guys we know – our top-level performers at important positions, cornerstone positions in building winning franchises. You know, that uh, the cornerback, the left tackle, you know, Andrew Whitworth, they went out and signed him as a free agent, even though, you know, he had really never accomplished much uh, with the Bengals. And, and he's still playing all these years later, the oldest left tackle in the history of the league. Um, so, yeah, I think teams will and should reevaluate the, the value of draft picks compared to the value of, a high-level NFL performer, a pro bowler, a, you know, um, a guy you can win who could be a valuable part of a Super Bowl contending team at certain positions, they are worth first-round draft picks and more than first-round draft picks in many cases. Um, but you gotta, you got to be able to evaluate those guys and make sure that, you know, once they come to your organization, you're developing that player's talent and fully utilizing it. I mean, I think Jalen Ramsey has come there and been a much different player 
with far greater responsibilities on defense than he had when he was in Jacksonville, where he was kind of just a shutdown corner. I mean, um, you know, Wade Phillips started the process of using him in the star position that Brandon Staley then uh, expanded upon. And so he plays a lot of different roles now. Never got that opportunity with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So there are a lot of components to it. But yes, to your question, I think that teams will um, look at trading draft picks for established players at certain positions much and be much more readily to embrace that possibility than they have before. I wonder if the analytics world will make it easier for them to do that as they look at the success and fail rate of, of draft picks in general. But it takes a lot of balls to trade guys like that, man, because you're, you're trading hope when you do that. Right, but I mean, what have been the most analytic-driven organizations? I would say the 49ers have been one of those teams. The Browns have been one of those teams. And we saw them, you know, last year become relevant again and make the playoffs and succeed in the playoffs for the first time in, you know, more than two decades. So uh, that can be a valuable part of it. And, uh, and I think based on how you see those teams, they definitely, the analytics people, do value um, draft picks differently. Uh, they, they value the draft pick over the proven player, it seems to me, based on the examples that, that I've just cited to you right there. Ed, when they you were look, all about trading players for picks, right? Yeah, that's true. It, the flip side of this is what the Bengals have done. And right. doing it kind of in a little bit more of the conventional way, especially when you look at their offensive skill position guys that are all highly drafted picks that they've had with the two wide receivers and, of course, Joe Burrow and, and even a few years back, Joe Mixon. What do you make of this rise from the Bengals? I mean, is it truly just it's Joe Burrow has shown up and they have just become a completely different franchise? Well, I mean, having having a, a young franchise quarterback obviously makes, you know, all the difference in the world. And I mean, just like we saw with the Chiefs and what we've seen with the Buffalo Bills uh, rising to prominence with those two young quarterbacks drafted in the first round. And, and Joe Burrow is a perfect fit for that being that kind of player. And, um, you know, he's even been able to overcome the fact that I think he's the first quarterback in, in, in the Super Bowl era to make the Super Bowl despite being the most sacked quarterback in the NFL. The only quarterback to be sacked more than 50 times in a season and make the Super Bowl is Joe Burrow. Um, and then they did, you know, get Jamar Chase and the complimentary pieces. And, and they're still not a complete team. I mean, they need, to, they need to protect this quarterback. They need to make sure he doesn't become Andrew Luck, you know, uh, as his career goes down the road um they, they they cannot continue to subject him to this level of punishment but i think the the bengals are have taken a different approach out of you know sort of necessity i mean mike brown's never been a guy we've known to be an elaborate spender um and and so the rams are at the opposite end of the spectrum from that point of view so it is really the super bowl is a clash of philosophies in many ways but both uh can can thank the way they've acquired their the fact that they did acquire a franchise quarterback in some way, in two different ways, um, for the fact that they're in this game at all. What do you make of uh, the Brian Flores lawsuit? Which part of it? <laughs> I mean, you, you could take that where you choose, whether it's Stephen Ross allegedly uh, paying him to lose games or whether uh, yeah. uh, sham interviews or wherever you want to take it. Well, I think the I think the NFL did itself a real disservice in the way it reacted publicly um, to the to the Brian Flores lawsuit from the standpoint of just basically dismissing it all as having any merit whatsoever when there were all these different components to begin with. I think the league should have said something, you know, to the effect of 
not rejecting the claim so much as saying, hey, look, we know this has been an issue. Uh, we're going to investigate. We're going to find out what the facts are, and that will guide our response to these allegations. If we find that to be the case, then we will take corrective measures and there will be punitive action instead of just rejecting it all out of hand. It, it's odd to me that the person who makes this claim against the league, and I don't, I don't know whether it's true or it's not, um, uh, but it's odd that it's someone who got a head coaching job, you know, as a, as an African-American, one of what, only 20 guys in the history of the league who's been a head coach. Now his argument about being dismissed is a whole different thing. Uh, after consecutive winning seasons, which Miami hasn't had since I think 2003. Um, and the fact that, uh, you know, black coaches who have been fired from head coaching positions have rarely gotten a second opportunity where it's very common for white coaches to get a second chance. That's a different argument. Um, and, and so I don't, I don't know. I don't think Hugh Jackson helped his argument about, um, you know, being incentivized for losing games deliberately to try to get, you know, the first pick in the draft. If he did, then I think if that, if that really happened and it, and it could be documented and proven, like all of this is just a bunch of allegations and it's about what you could prove or what the, what the league thinks you can prove and will then engage in damage control and try and, you know, resolve this, right. resolve this with money. Um, as they have so often done at a certain point. Um, but if they can, if he can prove, if it can be proven that Stephen Ross incentivized his head coach to throw games to get Joe Burrow as the number one pick in the draft in Miami, then I think Stephen Ross should should forfeit his team or be forced yeah. to sell his team at the very least. Um, but I don't know. I don't think we know enough about the facts to judge the accusation right now. But I do agree with what Brian Flores said. I think he's unquestionably um, put at risk his own ability to ever get a head coaching job again. And, and we say that because he took this action even as he's interviewing with the Saints and the Texans for their you know, current head coaching vacancies. Are either one of those teams going to be more inclined to hire somebody who's now effectively suing them over the fact that <laughs> Over the fact that he views the league as as racist in hiring head coaches, I I mean I can't imagine that helped his cause unless the league thinks it would somehow subvert the allegations against it and would encourage those organizations to do it for them for the sake of all. When you look at this current round of head coaching hires, and, and obviously there's still a couple that are out there that are vacant, and, and you mentioned the Saints and the Texans, and who knows what they're going to do, the Dolphins. But of the five hires that we know, four brand-new head coaches that have never coached before, which hire do you think will wind up having the most success? Well, the, the hire I like the best um, is somebody who has coached before. Um, I like the Raiders hiring Josh McDaniels, and I'm glad they actually got to the point where while he hasn't coached the game yet, he at least did show up for the press conference this time, which he didn't do <laughs> when he took the job from the Colts. <laughs> He's progressed. But, but, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, they're yep. getting somewhere with this. We still have to see him coach a game yet. Um, but you know, he obviously coached Denver uh, a long time ago and, and, and had some initial success, but was fired, uh, I think nine games into his second season, then went back to, you know, ultimately went to new England and has been there for all of new England Super Bowl championships. Um, and you know, I think anybody who would say, well, yeah, you, anybody could have had that kind of success with Tom Brady and, and, and that's a fair point, but now look at what he did last year. You know, with a rookie quarterback at Mac Jones, 
and the fact that they still almost won that division and they did go to the playoffs you know, with a rookie quarterback in a year that was supposed to be a rebuilding year. I think that says a lot for Josh McDaniels. And all of the things that, that everybody, including myself, criticizes Mike McCarthy for, that's not like that's where Josh McDaniels is unequivocally great. Like he does change. He does avoid um, exposing the weaknesses in his offense on a regular basis. He does change his approach and his game plan week to week based on the opponent. He does get his best player of the ball uh, on a regular basis. He is able to work around flaws and failures and still create success on offense and, 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 and opportunities for his team to win. So I like the Josh McDaniels hire. I think he and Derek Carr, you know, who's going into the last year of his contract, but it's been, to me, a top-five quarterback in the last few years. If he keeps Derek Carr, as I assume he will, and as he has indicated with his own remarks at the previous aforementioned press conference, um, then I, I think that could be a really good partnership in, in Las Vegas. By the flip side, Doc, what the hell are they doing in Jacksonville? <laughs> well, I, I saw a Byron Leftwich is withdrawing his name from consideration, which makes me think he knows he's not getting the job, and uh, maybe they're about to make a hire. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I think obviously people have great misgivings about um, the ownership, about you know Trent Baalke as general manager. If you look at the number of head coaches that Baalke has gone through as the general manager, and the fact that despite um, all the criticism and all the questions about whether they can attract a top head coaching candidate there if Balky's the general manager, that they still have not forced Balky out of the organization or at least to finish his role, I think most coaches find that troubling. And, and that's quite a statement because it should be a very alluring job given the presence of Trevor Lawrence, the first pick in the draft last year. Most people would want to go uh, coach any team that had Trevor Lawrence, let alone one that doesn't play in a t- you know in a really highly competitive division. I mean, the Titans have been good and the Colts have been good, but you can win that division, um, you know, at least occasionally if you have the right people coaching and developing Trevor Lawrence. This is a big hire for Trevor Lawrence. You would think the, the owner would get, you know, the best coach available. And it, yeah. yet it seems like that's not at all what's happening there. Now, they, they could be forced. If they hire Doug Peterson, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. He had a lot of success with the Eagles, won a Super Bowl former quarterback, you know, coached under Andy Reid on offense, so has a good system uh, and play style that could really work for uh, the personnel that the Jaguars have and make them immediately competitive and give them real credibility. Whether they can get Doug Peterson or not or whether that's their choice, I don't know. But it seemed to me like the fact that they're waiting this long and that they're last on everybody's list and don't have a lot of the top guys don't seem to want to go there. For instance, Dan Quinn declined an interview there. Um, that to me says an awful lot. Edwarder, as always, man, we appreciate the time, and we will check into you next week right before the Super Bowl. Sounds good, guys. Thanks a lot. All right, appreciate All right, it. Buddy. All right, there he is, NFL insider Edwarder, brought to you as always by Medea from Scratch. Three great Dallas area locations. You can find one in Plano, Grapevine, or Flower Mound. So check out whichever one is closest to you. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. 
Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.